0: Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We are a movement of men in central Indiana pursuing meaningful friendships, faith, and character. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit us at heartofaman.org. Today's talk is from our founder, Bill Moore, taking us through Acts 1 and pushing us to go boldly after what Jesus has called us to. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you're inspired by the ideas. Well, welcome back, you guys. Glad you guys had a good time to discuss the lesson. Uh, we had some wonderful discussions and uh, really got to hear some amazing testimonies of what happens in guys' lives uh, and, and the way God has moved and the spirit has moved in men's lives. I mean, you guys, there's some stories in this room, man. You all have walked with Jesus, man. Some of you guys have really encountered him in amazing ways. So it's uh, it's really hard for guys to to work in community with other men and share their witness stories. It feels like you're bragging or it feels like you're kinda, you know, telling something out of school or it just doesn't feel right to you. But if you read the book of Acts, that often happened. They came back and said, here's what happened. And people wrote those things down so we would know what happened. And so when you tell us your story in those settings that we're having right now, it's really helpful for the guys listening because it gives us examples of what you did and how you did it and how you made something that was really what we're called to do real. And so we kind of feed off each other. It's like, oh, I heard that guy said he used cards at work to get prayer requests or this guy worked with kids this way and and that guy went on this trip and he learned that. And so we feed off each other's witness stories. And so you should know that this is a safe place for that. This, This is a place where we want to hear your story. And we're, not, we're all going to agree. We're not going to judge you or act like you're being arrogant, unless you are, right? You know, and if you are, then don't do that, right? Like, that's not cool. Uh, but if you are, just telling us because you, you experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to hear that. That's really powerful. That moves us. That moves the needle for us, all right? So thanks for that. I had a wonderful time hearing some stories tonight, and I know that was going on in other rooms. So I'll tell you a few of mine. Uh, February 2010... Uh, I'm on an airplane from Chicago O'Hare to Entebbe, Uganda. Uh, four weeks earlier, I had read a book called My Business, My Mission by Doug Seebeck. And somewhere around the middle of the book, he was describing a, a project on a grain called amaranth. And they needed help knowing how to mill it and to package it and to get it into the marketplace. And I'm reading that, it's about 12 at midnight, and I just had my shoulder worked on, so I was ambulating a little bit. And I'm sitting there going, I could do that. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I could do that. And that thought literally turned into, you can do that. And I was like, that wasn't my voice. But it wasn't a voice, it was just, no, you need to do that. And I was like, oh, that's not just me talking anymore. You know that sense when you're feeling God's like pressing on you? And that went on for a little while, because I'm like, nah, I'm not, no, I'm not leaving. And I thought, uh uh-oh, this isn't going well. So I got up in the morning and I called Doug and I said, hey Doug, um, here's who I am, here's what I do. My company does stuff like that and we're good at it. Um, And I've been doing it for a long time and I think I could help you. And the next day he was at my house and he had me telling kids at some university on some college, some Skype call, what we did and how we bring Christ into the workplace. And I'm like, I don't even know this guy, you know? I'm like, who, who, why am I doing this? And literally, four weeks later, I'm on a plane to Entebbe, Uganda, because of this guy, and I'm thinking, I'm not sure I really signed up for this, you know, but it was like the Holy Spirit sort of swept me along, and so here I am, it's 10.30 at night, it's 10.30 p.m. at night, I'm standing in the airport, I've got my bag, Everything's closed and I'm at the curb and I don't know who I'm supposed to meet because Francis, the guy I'm supposed to meet, we didn't give each other pictures or any way of knowing each other. I don't know what I was thinking. I just like got on the plane and went. I don't know what, I was like I checked out all my common sense, you know? So I'm standing there and there's like 25 Ugandan guys all yelling and stuff and I'm just looking around and I'm like, okay, I'm the only American guy here. Everyone else got rides already. And they're all yelling, hey man, you wanna ride? You wanna ride? And I'm like, oh my gosh, what the heck's happening to me right now? And I'm like, wait, I'll get my phone out. You know what? My phone didn't work. Cause I'm in Uganda. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, we got a bit of a problem here. So now I'm starting to panic. Cause I'm realizing like I had no plan A, B, C, or D at this point. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I gotta get to Kampala. I'm in Entebbe, I don't even know where Kampala is. I just know I'm in Entebbe. And so I'm like, okay, what am I gonna do? And like, I gotta get in a car with one of these guys because I don't know Francis and he doesn't know me. So I'm like, okay, looks like I'm getting in a car with a guy I don't know in Uganda. It's 1030 at night. And all of a sudden my head flooded with two thoughts. The State Department I had talked to earlier in the week said Uganda is an unsafe place, and, and El Shabaab had had a recent attack in Uganda and blew up something and killed a bunch of people. And I'm like, I just made the biggest mistake of my life. And if you've ever had somebody say, have you ever had the fear of death come over you? I honestly can tell you it did in that moment. I'm literally standing there, and, I, and I'm wanting to cry. I'm wanting to weep. And I'm literally shaking and I'm standing there and I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to get in a car and they're going to haul me into a ditch and they're going to shoot me and take all my stuff and I'm never going to see my family and they're never going to find me and they're not going to know I'm dead for a month. Or I'm literally, my heart's, I am freaking out. You guys like I am in severe panic mode. And I get in this car, and we're driving, and, I, and I'm literally, I've never been in that place where I thought I was definitely going to die, and I thought I was definitely going to die. And the last thing I had at my fingertips was Jesus Christ. It's not my M.O., I'm just telling you. Anyone that knows me, I have six plans in my hip pocket at all times. Jesus is always my last choice. And I was there. I was at my last choice. And I'm literally in the backseat of this car just, just, huddling and going, Lord, protect me, Jesus, please, please protect me. And like instantly I hear something in my head say, repeat why you're here. Jesus called you. You're here to help people and bring the gospel and create jobs. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's it. Jesus brought me here. I'm here to create jobs and help people. That's what I'm hearing. I just started saying it over, and like a couple minutes later, I'm sitting there I'm like, oh, okay, I'm okay. And I was thinking... How did that happen? That was the power of the Holy Spirit, you guys. Honestly, I, I have no idea how that happened to me. None. I was literally like overtaken by something, and I found this peace in a moment when I was scared to death. Scared to death. Now, the next day, I went back to my old ways, and I quickly abandoned Jesus and started getting afraid <laughs> and did all that. So, But I can tell you, that is a testimony of Christ in a place where I knew he was at. He had called me to that place, and I knew it. And he rescued me from my fear, and I knew it, and I could testify to that. Tonight, we're going to look in Acts, and we're going to see three things. We're going to be in verses 1 through 3, and we're going to see that we can trust the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So there they are. We can trust the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our witnessing is commanded, empowered, and directed. And number three, got to respond to the word, right? There's a response to the word that's called, and we see it. So that's what we're going to jump into We're gonna do it in 20 minutes, all right? So this is spiritual aerobics. All right, let's pray together, guys. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you and we praise you, Jesus, for all the stories of how you've moved in this room, Lord. And I pray that the witness of this room will start to grow and it'll get loud and it'll become resounding and it'll take over our lives and the people around us and the noise and the music and the glory of who you are will become unbelievable in our lives, Jesus. You will consume us with this call to go out and tell people about who you are, Lord. So fill this room now with your precious Holy Spirit. Help us hear from you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. In verses one through three, Luke starts off and he has one sentence in here I really love. He describes who he is and what he's doing. He connects us back to the past. We know it's part of the Luke story and we're like, okay, I like this. Now, sidebar, for all you guys who are wondering what happened to my pullover and why I'm wearing a T-shirt, I'll tell you about it in a minute, all right? It's coming. All right, so here we are. He says this. I'm giving you this information because Jesus did one thing. He gave convincing proof that he was alive. If you look in one three, that one little phrase is what captures the moment for me. Convincing proof that he was alive. That's what Jesus did. When he came back as a resurrected Jesus, he was around for 40 days, right? He was there for 40 days. He saw all these people and he gave convincing proof that he was alive. In order for Jesus to be resurrected from the dead, he had to be dead first. So this is key, right? So you have to understand. So if you're not... Clear on whether Jesus' resurrection was real, you need to do a little bit of research. There's a lot written on this, there is a lot written on this, and some really good stuff. I think Josh McDowell and his Evidence That Demands a Verdict, it's a two-volume piece, does one of the best jobs of putting a very clear understanding of this together. A couple of key thoughts, Jesus was brutally flogged with 39 lashes and crucified. The Romans knew how to kill people on a cross. They didn't just stick them up there first, they flogged them with 39 lashes. And they knew at 39, the guy was one ounce from dying. Right, like He was the last breath from dying. His body's been ripped open, he's bleeding out, he's completely dehydrated he can barely breathe he's lost a lot of blood right this guy is literally on the verge of death and then they put the cross and make him carry it to their to the place where they crucify him so there's one point right this guy was almost dead when he got to the cross and then when he was crucified on the cross he died on this cross Jesus was unquestionably dead because this was a Roman method which they were incredibly good at killing people with, and the last way they knew is they stuck a spear right into his side, and he tells Thomas, I've got a hole here, you wanna check it out, right, after he came back. He put a spear into his side, punctured the pericardium um, area so that the water and the blood came out, so we know he punctured the heart, Jesus is dead. There's nobody that disputes that. All the non-Christian historians at that time, like Josephus, Cornelius, Tacitus, Lucian, all write the same thing. There's the story of Jesus, he was dead. So there's unanimous agreement on this. Even today, the Journal of American Medical Association wrote this, right? This is a, this is a very uh, non-Christian group of people. Clearly, the weight of the historical and medical evidence indicates that Jesus was dead before the wound to his side was inflicted. So modern medicine, and the historians all agree, and the Bible agrees, Jesus was dead, you guys. So it didn't put him in the tomb alive, he was dead. And then, when he was alive, there's convincing proof that he did come back to life. Here it is, he was placed in a sealed and guarded tomb. So there were two guards who, if they let this guy out, are gonna be killed themselves. It's a sealed tomb, sealed by the Roman guards. He's, those Roman guards' lives are at stake if that tomb's empty. That's one reason. The tomb is empty, the body's never found. How do we know that? The Sanhedrin, the Jews accused the disciples of stealing the body. Well, why would they do that if there was a body in the tomb? There was no body in the tomb. There were many witnesses that saw Jesus. If you read 1 Corinthians 15, three through seven, it said over 500 saw him. In fact, if you go through Luke and Corinthians and the Acts of the Apostles, you find out that there were over 12 of these encounters with hundreds of people over the course of 40 days who in fact ate with him, touched him, they saw him. Another proof, Paul and James, prior to Jesus' resurrection, would not have anything to do with him. Paul was Saul, Saul was not a Christian. He was not a follower of Jesus. wanted nothing to do with Jesus Christ. His brother James did not follow Jesus. After Jesus' resurrection, both of these men gave up their life for Jesus Christ. You don't give up your life for somebody who wasn't alive and was a lie. In fact, all of his disciples were radically changed and were willing to die, and it's one of the key reasons we all believe as Christians that Jesus, in fact, came back from the dead and was alive because they saw him resurrected from the dead Right? And we will see this next week in droves when we study Peter's response. Amazing to watch Peter the coward become Peter the rock, right? Powerful stuff, right? Nobody dies for a lie. These men wouldn't die for a lie. Why is the resurrection so important? Because of these reasons. It brings absolute proof that we have life after death. The resurrection gives absolute proof that there's life after death. It demonstrates the power of Jesus Christ Jesus was the source of creation. He was the word. He was at the beginning of time. When somebody says, what's the Bible? It's the word of God. Well, you know what the word of God is? It's Jesus Christ. So when you read the word, you're reading Jesus. When you're with the word, you're with Jesus, right? He was there at the beginning. He was there when he was resurrected. He's got that kind of power, you guys. That's what it tells us. He has power to raise people from the the dead. He raised Lazarus from the dead. I can have life in a resurrected because body because Jesus had life in a resurrected body. That's why the resurrection is so important to us. I get to have one of those two because He said I do, and then He said you're going to live in a new heaven and a new earth. You're going to live with me in that resurrected body on a new heaven and a new earth. That's one of the reasons we believe the resurrection is so powerful. That's a big deal, you guys. Jesus can be fully trusted because he foretold that he would do this. He tells us numerous times, I'm going to die and on the third day be brought back again because he told us that before it happened and he did it. You can trust him with everything. How many men do you know that that can foretell the future and then live it out? That's a powerful thing, you guys, only God can do that and Jesus Christ did that. His apostles can be trusted because they trusted in those things and we follow them. So you can trust them because they trusted him. That creates a line of trust that's really important for us. That line of trust is what we lean on. Our sins are forgiven because of Jesus' resurrection. They couldn't be uh, forgiven by a dead man, right? Muhammad can't forgive the sins of the, of the Muslims and Buddha can't, right? David can't forgive the sins of the Jews, can he? But Jesus Christ is alive and seated at the right hand of the Father and has walked on the earth and has the power to forgive our sins. That's powerful, you guys. And our faith and hope relies on this resurrected king because he's gonna be there in the kingdom for us. Those are why we believe in the resurrection. The resurrection is the linchpin to Christianity. Without the resurrection, Christianity is absolutely empty. It has no value. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives men 100% confidence they can die for him. And it should allow me to fully trust that as well, right? Those men were willing to die for Jesus. They had 100% confidence he was who he says he was because they saw him with their own eyes. And they were willing to die, and all of them did except John. All of them did except John. John. So if they did, then I can surely have trust in Jesus Christ as well. In John eleven twenty five, 25 he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says that to us, guys, that's who Jesus is. We can trust Jesus with our life now though. We can do it, you guys, but here's the rub. We talked about this in our group, it was really good. For me, marriage was not that difficult. I met a great girl, we fell in love, we made a plan, we got married. That was pretty simple, I thought. I'm like, I got this, man. I'm a good-looking dude. I got a hot girl. I'm running this play, checking the box. This is easy. And then we got to the altar and said, and the two must become one. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about, one? 31 years later, I'm still trying to figure out how the two become one, you guys. Something I've learned along the way has been that the trust between my wife Susie is the only thing that makes us one. And the trust between us is not inhibited by her mostly. It's inhibited by me. See, when a guy's dad abandons at a young age, a guy like me has a real hard time trusting anybody. And you know what? There's a connection between how hard it is for me to trust Susie and how hard it is for me to trust Jesus. They're not disconnected. Something in me has a really difficult time trusting Jesus. And something to me has a really tough time trusting you and my friends and my wife and a lot of people in my life. So the question I would ask is, what keeps you from really trusting Jesus? See, you gotta know. You gotta be able to look at yourself and go, that's the real Bill. I got stuff that's blocking me, man, and I don't trust him. I don't. That's what he's asking you here is what's it gonna take, guys? What else do I gotta do? What else do I gotta do? That's what Jesus is asking you, for you to fully trust me, because you fully trusting me has a play attached to it. And it means giving up everything in all your life to pursue me. And I'm not saying you gotta change your whole life, but he's saying, but I am asking you to change your whole life. And if you're not trusting me, would you really do that? And most of us are like, I don't trust him that much, man. It's just not how it feels to me. But there were 12 men that did, you guys. And they changed the whole stinking world. So what's keeping you from really fully trusting Jesus? What is it? Verses four through 11, Jesus left clear instructions, before he ascended, he said, stay in Jerusalem, don't leave. And you know why? Because the feast of the first fruits was coming. You know how many millions of people were in that city in Jerusalem at that time? Many millions. The men were required for the Feast of the First Fruits to come every year and to celebrate this feast. So this is this town's full of millions of men from all over the area. The whole world have come to Jerusalem at this time. Jesus knows that. Stay. Don't go. I want you to stay here. And what's going to happen when you, when you stay is you're going to receive power. Power. Well, what kind of power, God? He uses a word that's the word for dynamite. Power. Like not small stuff. Not little stuff. Not the stuff you have. The kind of power I have. It's power. Bang. You will change lives. Your words will speak and men will move. Mountains will move. Lives will change. Things shift when you speak in my name. That kind of power. It's coming. Stay here. He promised them that and he told them that before he died. He said, "I when I leave, I'm going to send you the counsel in John 14:6. He's going to lead you in truth and comfort you. He will come. You're going to need it. Because you're not the kind of man wired for the kind of work I've called you to. You need something you don't have. And it's my power, and I will send it to you. Made it really clear, he did. And so they hear that, and they think, wait a minute. And so what do they ask? Hey, uh, when's the kingdom, is the kingdom coming now? Are you coming back to take Jerusalem and bring the kingdom back? Isn't that what he's going on? He's like, oh my gosh. Back around that track again we go. These guys are dense. So I'm a Peter. Yeah, my pastor always called me a Peter, so I was just like Peter. I would have been like, yeah, okay, so the kingdom's coming back, right? He's like, no, not now, okay? We've gone through this, Peter, a few times, and we're gonna go through it again, all right? So let me get this straight. No, not now, but not never, just not now. I have work for you to do, Peter. There's work for you to do. You need to do something I'm calling you to do, and here's what it is. I need you to be my witnesses I'm gonna give you power, I need you to be my witnesses, and I want you to do it like this. I want you to be in Jerusalem, and then I want you to be in Judea, and then I want you to go to Samaria, and then I want you to go to the ends of the earth, and I want you to testify about what you saw in my resurrection. You have to tell them, it's up to you. You're the apostles, which means messenger, carry the message, be my witness, Tell them what you saw and what you heard and speak my name. That's the call. Is it clear? You don't need to know what's happening with the kingdom. That's all I'm asking you to do. And he sends them out. Go and make disciples in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, right? This is what he tells them to do and teach them all my commands. That's what I want you to do. Go make disciples by testifying. And these guys got their play, they're clear. So our play is clear, you guys. The witness is commanded, it's empowered, and it is directed, and it's directed, he tells us a strategy, the strategy is clear. It's on the back of my shirt, it's Acts 1-8. Witness where, Jerusalem, what's Jerusalem? Where you are now, where are you now? When you go home, that's where you are now. That's right, so the first place is Jerusalem, it's where you are. It's the closest thing that's to you, it's your family. Men, our first responsibility for witnessing is our children, our wives, our family, our brothers, our sisters, our moms, and our dads. We have to tell them the story. And you don't have a story to tell if Jesus hasn't moved in your life. If you've not been doing anything, there's nothing going on because you haven't done anything. You've just sat and watched. You don't have any stories about what you did while you played in the game, because you were on the bench. You watched the game. You never played the game. And Jesus is saying, you've got to get in, and you got to go, and you got to be involved. And when you do, you're going to come back, and you're going to say to your kids, let me tell you what God did. you got to hear this. you got to hear this. I want you to know what happened. And so you tell them, and you teach them, look what happened at work today. I prayed with this person. I want you to know what happened over here. I was doing this. You got to, oh, it was unbelievable what happened. You can't believe how badly I screwed this up and God somehow fixed it. You can't believe how I insulted this person and I asked for forgiveness and I got healed. Like, you ought to see God moving, right? You gotta be in the game for you to witness because if you don't have a witness, you've done nothing, right? You're doing nothing. But God's doing something with all of us, isn't he? So he wants you to tell those stories. He wants you to say, speak about me to the people in your life, please. Tell them what's going on. In Jerusalem, then he says, Judea, who's Judea? Your neighbors and your workplace. Most of us struggle in the workplace. It's hard, I get it. But you gotta open your mouth in the workplace, you guys. We live in America. There's three laws that allow us to speak in the workplace. The Constitution, the Civil Rights Act, and the Religious Reformation Act. All three give you rights to speak in the workplace. I teach this all the time. There's a book on this. Right? It's, there's tons of information about faith in the workplace. You don't have to hide your faith in the workplace. That's not true. So speak, get out there. Ask people if you can pray for them. Ask what's going on, lean into their life. Lean into their life. Don't run away from them, move towards them. You don't have to overwhelm them with the Bible, just overwhelm them with God's love. That's what he calls you to do. Get in their life and be a witness. That's what he's talking about, and next he says Samaria. What's Samaria? Samarians were who the Jews hated. You gotta move into the lives of the people you hate. Jesus said, anybody can love their friends. You need to love your enemies. How are you gonna love your enemies? You gotta go love the people you hate. Well, who is it that you hate? It might be your neighbor. You might hate that jackwagon next door, right? The guy keeps mowing over my roses every stinking spring, right? He empties his pool right into my bloody yard. I hate that guy. Right? He's cooking curry, it smells terrible. I hate it, right? Whatever your thing is, right? You might be like you, yeah, that might be your problem. You might have that kind of an issue or something. Well, then deal with that. Then you need to love that guy. Right? That's who God's calling you. He's leaning into you and say, Love your enemy. That's your Samaria. Love the person you hate. You need to push into that and witness to that person. You need to tell them how Jesus has moved into your life. And the last place is to the end of the earth. And people are like, I don't travel, I don't do that. You don't have to. One guy in our group tonight said his, his neighborhood's like the United Nations. He's like, I got, I got people from every country all around me. He, that guy doesn't even need to travel. He just goes from over here and over here, and he's in China and India, and he's got a guy from every country. You don't have to travel, you guys. I'm serious. Ends of the earth can be like this. My maintenance department and my accounting department are literally like China and India. Like, if you go talk to the maintenance guys, then you go talk to the finance guys, you're like, you guys speak like, you're like... You don't wear the same clothes. You know what I mean? You, know, like you people talk to each other at all. They're totally in different planets. So for you, it might be you might be in engineering and just going down and working with the people on the line might just be like mind blowing for you. Like that might be a huge transformation for you to just move there, right? Like that might be sh- giant for you to do that. Go somewhere where you have no idea what the people are like or understand, and that may not be very far from where you are. You don't have to leave the country to find people that are very different from you that you knew. But God's calling you to witness to those people. So this is me and Scotty, I don't know where Scotty is, he's back there somewhere, Scotty and I went to Uganda. So this was year two after the first debacle when I went and got there by myself and made it. you know, that was just a train wreck. Um, one of the things I committed to doing when I did that was I'd never go back alone. And one of the reasons this whole part of my life is so emotional is because my good friend Scotty, who you see up here, I convinced him to be on this journey with me for years. I said, God's calling me to bring jobs and the gospel to, to Uganda, and I need, I need someone to go with me. I can't do this alone. And Scotty said, I'll do that. I'm like, wow, Scotty. You know how I feel about Scotty? <laughs> That was really hard for me to be alone out there, man. You guys, that was so brutally hard. I was scared out of my ears for a week. And the next trip I took, I took with Scotty. And you know what that felt like? Amazing. And we went back over and over. And this was two years later. We had this farm, 200 acres. And this was a farm, a first fruits farm we were having. And we had everybody in these t-shirts. Everybody. I've never worn this shirt tonight until I wore it there. And this is the first time I've worn it since. It means that much to me. This is precious to me. <laughs> We had everybody in those teachers, 150 farmers, and the Muslim man that owned the land, Abdullah, wore that t-shirt. And I got up with a translator, and I told the people, Jesus Christ calls us when we make our first harvest. This is our first harvest of amaranth grain. And he said, when well, he calls us, when we bring our first crops in, is to tithe. And I've tithe to you. I've taken all the profits from this, and I've made you goats and pop and gum and food and salads, and I'm feeding you. And this is my gift to you and this is what jesus christ commands me to do and he's commanding you to do the same we're to give of our first fruits and this is what it looks like and jesus christ is our lord and savior and so i witnessed to them of who jesus christ was on a muslim guy's farm with a muslim guy wearing my t-shirt and listening to my t- testimony of jesus christ scotty was there i got living proof it was crazy cool you guys like crazy cool And that's what he's talking about, you guys. And so I don't share that with you to say, wow, look at something great we did. In fact, if you look at most of our work, it was complete failure, really. I mean, we just didn't six, seven, eight years of just nothing. I I don't know what we got to show for it, but we tried a lot. Spent a lot of money, a lot of time. So it's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ. And that's my point is I'm telling you this so you see this is one guy that heard God speak and said, I'll go. Send me, God. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I'm obedient. I'll go. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And I read this scripture right here, and I gave that talk right there, 9,000 miles away, because I read this text. And it said, Go do that. So I printed t shirts and put it on there and said, I'm going to go do that. I'm literally that stupid. I'm that simple, you guys. Literally. I mean, I'm literally. It's like, okay, that's what he said. That's what we're going to do. That's what we'll go do. Like, okay. I'm an engineer, it's just like, that's what's supposed to be. So the question I'd ask is, how can you this week be a witness in one of these areas of your life? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. How can you be a witness in one area of your life this week? How, what can you do, one area, right? That's the question. And the last thing we see is these disciples they're sitting there trying to pick another apostle, right? Crazy story. He puts like tons of stuff in this thing. It's just like chuck full of information. You're thinking, these guys are crazy. I mean, look at this. Picking this guy is such a big deal. Why is it such a big deal? Here's why. So Peter, Peter completely denies Jesus. I mean like completely denies him, right? Three times. Croak, oh, that whole thing. You guys know the whole story. We'll go it again next week. Denies Jesus. Jesus reinstates him finds him after he's resurrected Jesus finds him meets him and says I love you feed my sheep three times Peter feed my sheep Peter feed my sheep reinstates him now he gets and then he walks along this road and spends a whole day with him and he says in uh, Luke 24 27 Jesus fully explained the scripture to him can you picture this can you imagine you spent the day with Jesus and he's like hey we're gonna do the we're gonna go over the Bible today and we're just gonna walk for a while all right, I'm just going to explain it all to you. You're like, okay. And he does. And you're just like, whoa. Psalm 69 and 109 were explained to Peter by Jesus. And he reapplies them in this text and says, Jesus told me what these meant. And what these mean is I'm supposed to pick another disciple. And I'm going to do what the scripture says because that's what he told me it says. That's what he did. Right? And then teach, then Jesus comes back in Matthew seven, we read this in Matthew seven, and he says, I wanna tell you a parable about a good builder and a dumb builder. The good builder builds his house on rock, the dumb builder builds his house on sand. The dumb builder's the guy that, doesn't listen, that listens to my word and doesn't do anything. The smart builder's the guy that listens to my word and does stuff. So the question I would have for you is which guy are you? Because he just taught Peter what the scripture said. Peter took it and he did something with it and he chose another disciple so that 12 would be there when they stand up and proclaim the name of Jesus in front of a million guys. There's 12 representatives from the tribes of Israel standing in front of the world saying, we believe in him, all of us. But because Peter did that, they had that testimony because Peter was obedient to God's word. So how do you handle God's word? When you listen to God's word, do you just stuff your head full of it? Do you go to six classes and 10 Bible studies and just pack it in more and more and study and read and then go for more? Or do you read two verses and go do? Because Jesus would really just like to have you read one word and go do and not read any more. He loves it when men take his word. In fact, he says, we're smart builders when we do that. We're stupid when we don't. When I teach you my word, I expect you to hear it and go do something. When you do nothing, I call you stupid. That's not me talking, that's Jesus, right? Matthew 25 is the parable of the talents. I'm standing in front of 800 people in my church at Calvary in Orland Park, Illinois, and I'm doing what I'm doing now, and I'm like, we're supposed to build another church. Matthew 25 says we don't bury our talents. We multiply, we multiply. Our church needs to grow. Now, why aren't we growing our church? And I get done saying that and I go sit down and I literally hear in my voice, why won't you grow your business the same way you just told the church to grow? And I'm like, who who said that? What the heck was that? And literally, I felt the conviction. I shut up. I never said a last word that day. I sat there and I was just like, and the whole day, the Lord was like, I've asked you to build another plant in Mooresville, Indiana, and you won't. That's what you're supposed to go do. Now, let's get about that and quit telling your church what they need to do. You're a hypocrite. You're doing, telling one thing, somebody to do something. And you're not doing what I've called you to do. My verses are clear. Step up and lead. Next slide. That's what I built. That's in Mooresville, Indiana. It's doubled in size since then. That was literally built because I read Matthew 25, Jesus said build it, and I'm literally that stupid, I just do what he says to do. That's my witness, you guys. That is my witness. God's word told me to do it, and I do. And I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, we have reached more people in Morgan County than I ever dreamed we would. We give people second chances, we bring prisoners in, we bring drug addicts in, we preach the gospel, we have four chaplains there, we do Bible study, we teach prayer because it's an outpost that jesus wanted in morgan county and he told me to build it so i built it when god says do it and he tells you in his word move do it listen to the word go execute don't sit around and wait for more information that's what he says that's what peter did that's the point of this text How will you apply what you have learned from the scripture this week? That's my challenge. How will you apply from the scripture what you've learned this week? Don't need any more, you guys, you've had enough. We're a bunch of overfed Christians. We get plenty of sermons, plenty of Bible studies, tons of podcasts. You don't need any more, you got plenty. Now just pray, God, how do you want me to move? And move, move! Because when you move and you go, You've got stories, and I've got stories. I can tell you what's happened in that plant. I can tell you story after story where I've seen Jesus Christ, I can be a witness. You wanna come hear stories? I've got guys that will tell you stories. We have stories of Jesus moving because we moved where he said to move. When you go and you act, you get stories, and they're a witness and they're a testimony to Jesus. When you don't move, when he tells you to move, you have nothing. You stand and watch. And you have no idea and you lament and you're like, I don't know where God wants me, I don't know what to do, I don't know where to go, I don't feel like I'm used. I don't have a witness, I don't know what it is. That's what it sounds like, right? It's because you didn't move when God said move. He's speaking to you right now. He wants you to move. He wants you to get engaged. We're all called to be a witness for Jesus. And I hope tonight bothers you. I hope it upsets you, I hope it disrupts you, I hope it gets you uncomfortable. So you're thinking, okay God, Where should I go? What are you calling me to do? Because I want to be about doing it. And I hope you'll rehearse your testimonies with this group of men. Rehearse your testimonies here, guys. Don't be bashful. Tell us what happened. Tell us how God moved. Tell us what, because it encourages us. It it, it just ignites the room. And we all want to be part of that passion where Jesus is moving. We want to go where he says go. We want to hear your story. And we won't think you're arrogant. I promise you we won't. We want to be inspired. By the power of the Holy Spirit, because He's alive and He's moving and He wants you to be part of the team. He's calling you for that now, guys. It's time.